This morning we're going to talk about, uh, you know, and we've been going through the book of Proverbs. Oh, just as a reminder, next week, you don't want to miss next week. Next week is going to be the end of our Proverbs series. And basically what I've decided to do was to take each of the subjects that we've discussed in the past 33 weeks and uh, boil them down to one point on each particular subject. And uh, so you, you want to be there. If you haven't been there for the rest of it, you could have taken a half a year off. Just come for uh, next week and, and kind of got a glimpse of everything that we've been talking about. Oh, and also, uh, not only will Mike be back, uh, but uh, Tara Turner is going to be back to sing next week, too. So you, you want, want to be there for that as well. So we're going through the book of Proverbs, and uh, the book has much to say about life's everyday problems. Specifically, one of the biggest problems that affects each one of us is the problem of leadership. And uh, that's what we're going to discuss this morning is the problem of leadership. You know, you've got to ask yourself the question, and I know that I have recently, and that is, where have all the leaders gone? Where are all the men and women that have taken a position of leadership, not only in our, in our country, uh, but in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our businesses, and even in the church? You know, where have all the leaders gone? And if you look back on the recent elections, you've got to ask yourself the question that seemingly was asked endlessly, and that was, you know what, what real choice do we have? I've never seen a time in the, in the history of our country, at least in my lifetime, where so many officials have been elected only because they were the best of the worst that was available. And, uh, and it's difficult to understand why that is so true. And uh, what I'd like to discuss as we go through this is the problem of leadership and try to, to understand that, first of all, the Bible clearly teaches that we all need direction, we all need guidance, we all need leaders that we can follow. We need men and women who are willing to take a stand and to, and to, to uh, set the pace, so to speak, or to have vision as far as the future is concerned and direction. And, and uh, the, you know, the masses need to mobilize around that leadership to accomplish things that need to be accomplished. And as we go through it, you know, I think it, it becomes very clear that you know, we need people. We need men and women of vision in government, whether it's on a national level, the state, or local level. We need men and women of leadership and vision uh, as it comes to our businesses and in education. And I think of athletics and in the home and in the family. And we certainly need leadership and direction in the church. And uh, w for some reason or other, it's, it's, uh, it's clearly lacking in many of those areas. There are also some problems that take place when the wrong leaders get into office. And uh, as, as you go through it, uh, Francis Schaeffer uh, wrote specifically about that problem. He said that people in the world naturally want to boss others. Imagine a boy beginning with a firm he's ordered around by everybody, do this, do that. He's the last man on the totem pole. He says one day when the boss is out, he goes into the boss's office, he sits down behind his desk and says out loud, one day I'll be in this position and when I say do this, they'll do it. When I say run, they'll run. He said, you know, and this is man. And let us say with tears that a person does not automatically abandon this mentality when he becomes a Christian. There remains a seed in us that wants to be boss, a word of power in us that will keep us above all the others. Many people want to be in a leadership position simply for that reason. They want to be able to tell other people what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Not necessarily wanting to do any of those things themselves, but being in a position where they can dictate to others. They want to be in a powerful position, and with that power comes abuse. Chuck Colson, in his book, Loving God, writes of an incident that took place when he was chief counsel to then-President Richard Nixon. 
They were standing outside the Rose Garden, just north of the Rose Garden, just in between the residence and the Oval Office and the breezeway. And they were looking out across the South Lawn. If you've been to Washington, you know that it looks out across the South Lawn and it looks to Constitution Boulevard. And across Constitution Boulevard, there's the, the Washington Monument. And this was the backdrop that was taking place as they watched the tourists line up along Constitution Boulevard outside the South Lawn on the fence and walk and wind all the way around to the front entrance on Pennsylvania Avenue. And President Nixon and Chuck Colson were standing there at that particular time. And Nixon was standing there, and this is what took place. Colson writes, Nixon was musing about what people wanted in their leaders. He slowed a moment, and he looked into the distance across the South Lawn. And he said, the people really want a leader a little bigger than themselves, don't they, Chuck? I mean, someone like de Gaulle, there's a certain aloofness of power that's exuded by great men that people feel and that they want to follow. Colson says, at the time I agreed with him, but soon I would discover, as would the entire world, that there was a tremendous fallacy to such thinking. We soon realized that such pride and abuse of power would lead to our destruction and ultimately to our downfall. You've got to ask yourself a question, what makes a good leader? What makes an effective leader? Because each one of us at some point, you know, are in a leadership position. And I really believe that anyone that has influence is a leader. If you have influence in your home, if you have influence at work or in a business, if you have influence in your community, if you have influence as a coach on an athletic team, every one of us are to provide leadership position in a certain capacity. Romans 12 says that there are gifted leaders, that God gifts certain people. And yet the rest of us who may not be in a gifted position need to try to demonstrate the qualities that are outlined according to the Bible. The interesting thing is that we all have our own idea of what people should be and what leaders should be. I love this cartoon that I had. I've got it blown up for you. It's a, a picture of a pastor who is sitting at his desk. And everybody's got an idea what a pastor should be like. And sitting across from him is a guy who's dressed in some real funky clothes. He's got Argyle socks on, he's got an Hawaiian shirt, he's got glasses, it looks like almost a scuba mask, and he's got antennas coming out of his head. And the pastor's looking across this desk and he says, well, you know, the athletes in the congregation should say, should say I should be more athletic. The businessmen say I should be more businesslike. Fred, frankly, I admit I'm a little worried about what you're going to say. You know, and we've all got this idea, don't we, of what people should be and what people should do. The good news is, is that, you know, our ideas really don't make much difference. Because your idea of what an effective leader is and my idea may conflict with one another. And then we've got a problem. Well, what's real, what really does make for a good leader? Uh, the, the best news about all of it is that God's got some ideas about leadership. And the nice thing is that when we understand what his ideas are, then we all can come to some agreements when we understand what those qualities are. So basically, we're going to take a look at eight essential qualities of an effective leader. Eight qualities for effective leadership. And I'll guarantee you, if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're in business, if you're a coach, if you're in any type of government position, you're in a leadership position. And God has this to say about what will make you and I an effective leader. Number one, and the foundation of effective leadership, is that God says that leaders need righteousness in their life. Leaders need righteousness. You know, it's really fascinating to me, but contrary to popular opinion, it's not whether a candidate or an official is a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. It doesn't matter what racial orientation they are, what economic background they come from, or even how much experience that they have. The foundation of effective leadership, according to the Bible, is that a person has righteousness in their life. 
that they do, simply put, that they do the right thing. That's all that you need as a foundational quality to become an effective leader, that you are committed to do what's right. You know, as Spike Lee said, do the right thing. You know, but the problem that we have is the definition of what is the right thing. You know, we all have different ideas and approaches about what's right in life. And the good news is that God decides what's right. He decides what's right. He decides what's wrong. And so really what he's saying is to be an effective leader, you've got to be a person who's committed to do what God says is right and avoid doing what God says is wrong. That's the start of effective leadership. And without it, it's impossible. And we'll go through and show it. Looking at uh, Proverbs 14, 10, and 11, uh, we read this. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. There is absolutely no way you can get around this, and, you can de- and you'll demonstrate it, and you probably have even witnessed it in your own life. That is, when the right person is in a leadership position, a person is committed to doing the right thing before God, when they are in that position, you will rejoice if you're one of the followers in that particular arena. If you've got the right person in office that's your boss at work, they're committed to do what God says is right and and avoiding to do what God says is wrong, you will rejoice that they're in that position. It's as simple as it gets. And the fascinating thing and a wonderful thing is if you're in a position of leadership, God says this, if you're in a position of leadership and you are committed to doing what's right, not only will God honor that and bless you for it, but those who are around you will also be blessed in the overflow of the blessing that God sheds on your life. Probably the greatest example of that in the Bible is the person of Joseph in a country called Egypt, a country that was idolatrous, that that did not honor the God of Israel, that was idolatrous in in every way. Joseph was in second, second in all of command to Egypt under Pharaoh. And God blessed Joseph, and as a result, the nation of Egypt was also blessed accordingly. God's blessings overflow when righteous people are in office and leadership position. You and I experience the benefit of people that are committed to doing what's right. And if you've ever been in a situation where the person above you or the person in leadership is committed to doing what's wrong, you know how much grief it can bring to your life. And that's the turmoil that we all find ourselves in as we look around us looking for leaders that are committed to doing what's right. It says, when the wicked perish, the people rejoice. Ding dong, the witch is dead. The the wicked witch is dead. Hi-ho, the Mario. You know what I mean? I can just picture the little, you know, those little, whatever they were. What were they? Uh, What were they? Munchkins. Yeah, munchkins. You know, I I still picture the mayor, the mayor munchkin. You know, but anyway... You know, and it's and you got you know it's like think about that you know you got somebody who's in a leadership position that's committed to doing what's wrong and you suffer the consequences and they're not anymore you can just like turn into Mayor Munchkin you know what I mean you just want to sing and dance around the around the office or in our country you know we need people that are committed to doing what's right because very simply put by the mouth of the wicked it is destroyed in Proverbs fourteen thirty four it's righteousness or doing what's right before God that exalts a nation but sin is a disgrace to any people. You see, the, 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 uh, the contrast in the book of Proverbs is very simple. There's only two ways to live. You either live the right way before God, or you live the wrong way before God. It's cut and dried. There's no other explanation for it. It's that simple. You either do what's right, or you do what's wrong. And now we want to create this third category where it's like in the middle and we don't know what it is. Well, who said that? It's righteousness that will exalt our nation. 
It's righteousness that will exalt your household. It's righteousness that will exalt a church. It's righteousness that will exalt a business. It's righteousness that will exalt a team or a community. It's doing what's right before God that will, that will ensure a blessing from God. But sin is a disgrace. The contrast is simple. You either do what's right before God or you do what's wrong. You either live righteously or you sin. It's as simple as it is. If you do what's right, God blesses. If you do what's wrong, he does not. And we can't be deceived and we need to take a stand as a people, as a nation, no matter what the situation is, no matter who the leadership is, we need to hold our leaders, whether it's in our country, whether it's in business, whether it's in our home, whether it's in a church, we need to hold them accountable to the standards that are set forth in the word of God. What's right is right and what's wrong is wrong and there's no leader that's above that. There's only one God. We need to understand that because if we don't, and if we allow those who are in leadership position to do what's wrong before God, and if we remain silent, then we have no one to blame but ourselves for the consequences that we all will reap because of it. Particularly in a society as ours where we get to choose our leaders. The Bible says very clearly that kings detest wrongdoing, Proverbs 16:12, for a throne is established through righteousness. We need to understand, for a nation, for a state, for a community, for a home, for a business, for a church to be blessed by God, its leaders must be committed to doing what's right before God. And not to give in and to do what seems right to the special interest groups of the people. But to continue to hold steadfastly on a course that is right before God. Fear of man, we learned a couple weeks ago, brings forth all kinds of traps. And one of the biggest traps is the trap of compromise and sin before God. We need to understand that if we're in a leadership position, then we need to be dedicated to doing what's right before God, that we can't back down to the pressure that's put on us by special interest groups or even by individuals, and we must be committed to doing what's right. Because the Bible says fear of man is a snare and a trap, but those who trust in the Lord will be protected. I believe that, and I believe we suffer the consequences if we do not put people into office that are godly people. It's as simple as it gets. Number two, that is not only should leaders do what's right before God, but leaders also need justice. Leaders need justice. Proverbs 16, 10 through 15, we read this. The lips of a king speak as an oracle, and his mouth should not betray justice. Honest scales and balances are from the Lord. All the weights in the bag are of his making. Kings detest wrongdoing, for a throne is established through righteousness. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value a man who speaks the truth. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, but a wise man will appease it. When a king's face brightens, it means life. His favor is like a rain cloud in the spring. All around us, we see too much social and political injustice in our world. And make no mistake about it, according to the Bible, God hates injustice. And he particularly hates injustice that is created by those that God has placed in a leadership position because Romans 12 where it says that you know, a, a kingdom or a king is established by righteousness, the bottom line is, is that God establishes all leaders according to Romans 12. There's no one in a leadership position that God hasn't allowed to be there for his purposes and for his glory and that that leadership is established by God, meaning that it's right, the leadership is right, now, how a leader responds to the position that God has allowed them is a matter of personal choice and subject to the principles of the Bible. So what God says is that, you know what? Hey, a leadership or leaders are, are established by God. 
But they're also accountable to do what's right before God. Leaders need justice. Leaders are placed in a position to fight injustice. And there's no greater injustice than a leader who's in a position to establish justice, violating the trust of the people and creating injustice by using their position for personal gain or manipulation. I don't think there's anything that we as a people should hate more than a person in a leadership position, not the person itself, but the sin of injustice creating by a person that's been entrusted by God to produce justice in their, in their situation. I think if you look at that and you take a look at the Proverbs 29.4, it says, But by justice a king gives a country stability. But one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. What's the contrast here? Two things, right? By justice, a king gives a country what? Stability. Doing right and enacting justice produces a stable environment. The opposite of justice is bribery. So he says, but one who is greedy for bribes tears it down. Isn't it fascinating when you think about all the injustice that goes on in our world, the result of it often is a double standard enacted by those who are in a leadership position who are losing their power in their leadership position to personally gain financially in some way from the laws that they enact or the, or the actions that they take. And it gets disgusting after a while when we read about how Congress passes certain bills and laws and the people that, that author some of these bills are the ones who gain most by their enactment of it. And there's a real problem there when people say, well, there's nothing ethical or morally wrong. It doesn't violate any of the standards that are set forth by the Ethics Committee of Congress. Well, maybe not. But what is just about the ethics that's set forth by the Word of God in the Bible? It says if you're in a leadership position and you manipulate and use that position in any way to bring about personal gain, then you're one who loves bribery or you're greedy and the result of it is instability. What happens when we see a leader who violates our trust and confidence? I don't care whether it's in business or whether it's in the home or whether it's in church. A person who abuses the power and authority that's given to him by God and violates that for personal gain or for somehow or another to abuse that power as if somehow they're above the laws of God and they violate that, it produces instability. What happens? I know what happens in my thinking. What in the world do you want to listen to that person for? It's a mockery. It's a sham. All they're doing is using their position to, to, to feather their own nest, to put more money in their pocket. They don't care about justice. They don't care about the people. They don't care about what's right and wrong universally. All they care about is enacting laws that are going to benefit themselves. And God says it brings about instability. And the root of it is simply greed. And many people get into positions of power and they think, I'm only going to be in this position for a short time. I've got to take advantage of it. I've got to use it to my benefit. I've got to somehow make it worth my while because I'm only be here a little while. And they rationalize and justify it, and we don't have a problem rationalizing and justifying anything. So what does an effective leader have to have as qualities? Number one, they have to be committed to doing what's right. Number two, that means they have to be committed to justice. Equally, for all people, of all races, of all economic backgrounds. Uh, you know, and, and it's so hard to do and to see in our country, isn't it? Because, you know, those lobby groups are so strong, they're so powerful, and they've got so much money behind them. Oh! Hallelujah. <laughs> See that? I don't know if that's a sign of amen or a sign that maybe... Uh-oh. Could be some leaders up there. <laughs> well, now we're going to have to use the overhead, but with no overhead. So, 
Where were we? Hey, I know where we were. We're going to number four. Oh, this would be good. Yeah, just checking you out, testing whether to see if you're not, if you're really on top of it or not. Man, all these overheads. Gee whiz, I got a ton of them up here too. Hey, okay, here we go. Number three. Does that work? No, not really. Huh? Rats. That's what. Oh no, a lawyer. <laughs> that was a lawyer. Where's Larry? Oh, there he is. Okay. All right, number three, Proverbs 20, 28. Not only should leaders uh, do the right thing before God, leaders must also be committed to justice for all people, not personally benefiting from the things that they do. Number three, leaders also need mercy. They need to be able to show mercy. Proverbs 20, 28 says, Mercy, or love and faithfulness, keep a king safe. Through loving kindness, his throne is made secure. Number three, mercy. You know what's fascinating to me is that, now what? What? Hey, here we go. Man, we're on top of this or what? What else is up there? Well, try it. I don't know if it'll reach that far. Oh. Oh, yeah. The ones, the people in the back, like, now we can finally see the overhead. Maybe. I ain't going to work. Do what? Oh, yeah, right. You focus. This, this, this is already focused. That's it. Okay. Hey. Set what on? Oh, the overhead. Hey, um, anyway, uh, mercy, right? Got to know how to show mercy. Ah, just leave it. Thanks for the help. <laughs> no, seriously, I meant that sincerely. Come on, here we go. No, we'll just leave the plug in. But hey, no, no, you're not gonna be able to do that. Hey, you got something you want to do for a little bit? There we go. Oh, this is fun, huh? Breaks up in the mind. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of tension that was going on here for a second. Hey. Oh gosh. I know. Focus. All right. All right. Number three. Mercy, love, faithfulness, mercy, 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 and faithfulness keep a king safe through love or loving kindness. His throne is made secure. The third quality that's essential for leadership is a leader must not become so callous towards people that he or she does not have the ability to forgive. It's interesting, isn't it? In a leadership position where we're called to enact justice that is equal for all people, that is not being used or abused for personal gain, one of the most difficult things is to enact justice and also to show compassion or mercy. There are times, as you know as a parent, that there are times where a warning is necessary. There are times where correction is necessary. There are times where, you know what, just giving a person a second chance is necessary. And it's a very difficult thing in a leadership position because you'll always be second-guessed by people as to whether or not you're giving a person a second chance because you're showing compassion or mercy or because you're enacting some hypocritical form of justice. And yet the Bible teaches that leaders need to show mercy 
there's a certain amount of latitude that's given to those in a leadership position to determine whether it's the right time to give a person a second chance. And that's a very difficult thing. And yet there's a healthy tension that's necessary as well. Because not everything in life is so cut and dried. Not everything in life is so obvious. And that's why a leader also needs, according to the Bible, a leader needs to be understanding. Proverbs 25, 2 and 3 says that uh, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. It says, as the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. Proverbs 28:16. a tyrannical ruler lacks judgment, but he who hates ill-gotten gain will enjoy a long life. It is the glory of God to conceal of matter, to search out a matter is the glory of kings. Leaders need understanding. And we can see why. Because they need to understand what justice truly is. They need to understand where mercy should apply. They need to understand the situation in order to enact justice, to bring about a fair sentence, so to speak, for those who do what is wrong. Leaders need understanding. To search out the truth is basically what it means. And one thing that we need to recognize, no matter what your leadership position, whether it's in the home or in business or if it's in a church or a community or a government of some sort, we need to understand this because this is true of human nature. Not all the information that you're going to get as a leader is going to be accurate. It's amazing to me how naive we are at times in leadership positions that we believe the first person who comes to us and tells us a story. It, it, it requires... In a leadership position, if justice is to be served, it requires a painstaking effort for leaders to find out, to search out, to seek out, and to acquire the truth. Think about it. We're, we're not naive. Think about your, you know, your own children and situations that happen in your own home. The first one that comes and tells you the story. How many of you have reacted to that story only to find out later that it wasn't the most accurate of the stories that were available? <laughs> And the later have to go back and ask for you know, forgiveness to the person that you enacted discipline or justice upon when you found out that that wasn't the case. It wasn't the story. It wasn't the truth. See, one of the, the, the prices that we have to pay in a leadership position is that we sometimes or another get cynical toward people because we realize that not everybody tells the truth. And so we've got to check it out. We've got to find out what is truth. What really is it? And a leader is, is commanded by God to seek the truth, to search for the truth. Think about it. In businesses, we have it happen all the time. Got a situation where we're doing work for, for a contractor, and uh, for one reason or another, we weren't getting information about projects that they were doing. So I talked to a friend of mine and said, look, man, the guy's not, you know, he's not even letting us know. He said, well, did you bid this job? What job? Never heard of that job. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. I never heard of it. And there were several jobs that were like that. I said, well, we're not getting the information that you're even bidding that stuff. So he went to the guy who was supposed to be calling us and letting us know. He said, oh, no, I tell him every time there's a job to bid. Well, we got a problem here. Someone's not telling the truth. Either I lied when I told him that we didn't get it, or he was lying when he told him we did get it. Now, I'm not trying to determine what the motives are for a person saying that he did or didn't do it. I don't know why someone would say that. All I know is we didn't get the information. And it takes a person in a leadership position to trace down, to take the time, to find out why not. And it's a pain sometimes to do it. It's like, oh, who cares? You know, you just get to that point. Who cares? Well, you have to if you're in a leadership position because you don't have an option. 
You're required by God to seek out the truth. See, a perverse leader doesn't care about the facts because they'll make a decision based on whatever benefits them. That's all that matters, plain and simple. I don't really care what the truth is. I don't care what the facts are because, see, if a person that's, that's an ungodly ruler lacks judgment because he hates ill-gotten gain. I mean, because he loves ill-gotten gain, the one who hates ill-gotten gain will have a long life and have a long leadership position. What keeps you from wanting to get kicked back? What keeps you from you know, uh, doing what's wrong as far as justice? What keeps you from manipulating and abusing your power if you're in a leader, leadership position? There's only one thing that I can think of. There's one word for it, and it's simply contentment. A leader has to have contentment. They have to be content in the position that God has placed them in, not caring about personal gain, not abusing their office for personal attention trying to line their pockets with money because of the position that they're in. A leader needs contentment. Philippians 4, 11 and 12, Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I've learned the secret to be content. And you know what the secret is? In verse 19, he says, My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. See, contentment isn't something that comes naturally. None of us are content by nature. In fact, if anything, we're discontent by nature. We have to learn the secret of being content. And the secret of contentment is found in the fact that, you know what? God promises to meet all of our needs, but not all of our greeds. See, and that's where the rub is, and that's where the difficulty is. And the one thing that should keep all of us honest in a leadership position, regardless of what, where it is, is that, you know what? 1 Timothy 6, 7, 8 says, we brought nothing into the world, and we're not taking anything out. So, you know what? If I'm in a leadership position, and I have the opportunity to abuse the power that God's given me to somehow or another benefit from it financially in some way... I need to always remind myself, you know what? I came in here with nothing. I'm going out with nothing. It says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. God promises to take care of us. And how much different it would be if people in leadership position would understand, you know what? God promises to meet our needs. We can't take what we acquire out with us anyway. We have to give an account to what we do with it that God gives it to us while we're here. And so the real accountability is, what did I do with the leadership position that God has entrusted with me? Because it's a matter of stewardship. God, you put me in a leadership position in my family. Did I abuse the power? Did I do what was right? Did I enact justice? Did I show mercy? Did I live right before my children and my family? If you're in a leadership position in your company or if you're in a leadership position in your community, God, you put me in that position and I'm accountable to you. You entrusted that to me to enact justice, to enact mercy, to show how to live right before God in a, in a world that's prone to do differently. That's my responsibility. That's my primary role and my task. You put me in this position. Did I do what was right before you? Because it doesn't matter what I could have accumulated and what I could have done, and I could have made a lot more money, or I could have done this or that, because it doesn't matter, because I can't take any of that stuff with me. The only thing I'm going to be... I'm not going to have anything with me. I'm going to be standing before God one day, and I'll have to give account to everything that I did. For the Christian, we're going to give an account for the works that we did while we're here on earth. And we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Are we going to hear, man, you know what? I put you in a position of authority and power and you abused it for your own personal gain. You manipulated it. And all the stuff that you got, you couldn't bring anyway. Wasn't that a silly, stupid thing to do? And you sit there and go, absolutely. I was so dumb. I didn't realize that this was all so true. <laughs> but it is. Leaders need contentment. Number six, and if you've ever been in a leadership position, you might want to jot this one down. Because the leaders need patience. Man, you know what? Leaders need patience. People can just wear you out. You ever found that? They just wear you out. You've been in a leadership position, and here you are, a parent, you know, your kids, they just wear you out. They can wear you out. You're, you're in charge, you're responsible in your business, you've got people that work for you. They wear you, people wear you out. They just kind of irritate you. They can get on your nerves. They can just think and drive you crazy. They come to you and they tell you stories and they tell you stuff that's not true and you've got to sit and spend all the time weeding out what is true, what isn't true. Why'd you tell me that? If it wasn't true, you could have saved us all a bunch of time. I've got to do all this extra work just because you, know, you, you weren't truthful about what you said. It's like, man, people just, they drive you nuts. So it really is important that you have patience as a virtue if you're going to be in a leadership position. You have to. Why? Because it takes patience to find out the truth. Just to check into it, it takes patience and time and effort and discipline. So you have to have patience if you're dealing with people. I don't care what situation you're in. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops patience, perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Isn't it, one of the, isn't it true that one of the first things you note about an immature person is their lack of patience? They, over, they overreact, they overrespond, they jump into things, they put their foot in their mouth, they, they rush in, you know, fools rush in, or, or whatever that thing is, you know, where somebody, wise men, tread, fear to tread. Uh, but, you know, something like that. But anyway, they're just in a hurry. And it's amazing, you see, you know, an older, more mature person, and just because you're old doesn't make you older and more mature, it just makes you older. Um, but, but, you know, you're not always more mature. But it's interesting to me that it kind of tends to go that direction. You know, older, more mature people, they always got that kind of demeanor about them. Slow down, relax, we'll check it out, we'll find out what's going on. They're just real calm, they're cool. Why? Because they've learned patience. Why? Because they used to overreact. <laughs> and they saw that it doesn't work right, so now they got this patience thing working for them. Number seven, leaders also need Wisdom. Wisdom. And that almost goes without saying, but if it went without saying, I wouldn't have an overhead here for it. So we're going to say it. Leaders need wisdom. Leaders need wisdom. If any of you lack wisdom, James 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lack wisdom, and if means it is so. If you lack wisdom, and you do. So here's, here's it in a nutshell. Every one of us, in any position of leadership, God says, guess what? You don't know how to do it right. You lack wisdom. And if you lack wisdom, and I know that you do, if you ask of God, he will give you generously and not find fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind, and that man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord, for he's a double-minded, unstable man in all that he does. You know what's interesting? I think there's a direct correlation between leadership that does not ask God for wisdom in doing what's right and the inconsistency in public policy that we see taking place in our country. Somebody comes in and they whisper in someone's ear, oh, that's a great idea. And they rush out and they do something that they think is a great idea because so-and-so whispered it in their ear. 
They don't seek God's wisdom because they don't want to acknowledge that he exists. They don't seek God's authority. They don't want to know what God has to say about anything because then they'll be, have to be subject to it, and they want to be their own little God. And if you're your own little God, there's not a room for another bigger God because you'd have to submit to him. So you don't want to know what God has to say about anything because then you'd have to do what he says. And so as a result, you go out and you formulate public policy and laws and trying to govern people based on this erroneous fallacy that somebody knows what's right and wrong and they don't. So this interest group whispers in your ear and you go out and you do something only to find out it was devastating to a bigger interest group. So then you've got to change that. And the whole process continues to go that direction until whoever has the most money and the loudest voice tends to dictate what happens as far as public policy. And the reality of all of this nonsense is, is that God determines what's right or wrong, not who screams the loudest. And so what kills me and frustrates me, and it should you, are people that are in leadership positions that say, on Monday our public policy is this, on Tuesday it's exactly the opposite, on Wednesday we're going to change it again, on Thursday we're going to do something different. And why do they say that? Because they don't know what's right or wrong, they don't know what's up and down. They're confused and they're upside down in their thinking. And like God says, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts aren't our, our thoughts. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are so deeply complex that the only way that we understand him is to turn to his word and ask him for wisdom on what we should do in specific situations. And once God gives us wisdom to make decisions based on the reality of his standard, which is the word of God, then we can fully make that decision in confidence, knowing that we don't have to go to and from and be unstable and cause all this controversy and confusion in our society, but we can make a decision and run with it because we know the decision has been validated by God. That's what it's all about. Why do you think we're in such a turmoil? Why do you think your business is so messed up? Why do you think our country is so confused? Why do you think even churches are so confused? Because we've gotten away from the word of God as a standard for making decisions. We don't seek God's wisdom anymore, even though God knows we need it and we don't know what to do without it. And he says, all you got to do is ask and I'll give it to you. And yet how many of us in leadership positions fail to do the primary thing we need to do, and that's ask God before we make any decision. God, validate this. Show me in your word where it's clear that I can understand it, that I can go with it and be fully confident that you're behind it and that you support it. I don't want to make a decision today and change it tomorrow and then change it Wednesday and then change it Friday and then change it Sunday. And why? Because then the people say, what in the world are we following? This is ludicrous. When you finally get it right, then let us know and then we'll decide. But your track record shows that I don't think we should follow you too far. Because if we give you too much effort and support and then a day or two later, we'll have to redo everything that we did. That's kind of dumb. So what happens is people sit back in their companies, they don't do anything. What happens is people sit back in a nation, we don't do anything. People sit back in church, we don't do anything. Why? Because everything changes every other day. No sense doing anything till we know what we're going to do. People need wisdom. And the only thing that keeps us from asking God for wisdom is pride. That's all that it is. I know everything. Believe me. <laughs> you don't know anything. Believe God. You know? James 4.10, the answer to it all Humble yourselves before God, and he'll lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in the proper time. You see, the, the real key, the character trait that will make all of us effective leaders is that we're humble before God realizing that God put us in that position of leadership. And that's the only reason that we're there. 
I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. I don't care how much money you have and how many people report to you. The only reason that you're where you are and understand what the Bible says is because God chose to put you there. And you know it in your heart, but you won't let anybody else around you know it because they're, awe, they're in awe of this power and this aloofness that somehow or another, strangely, people want to follow. But you know in your own heart, you don't have a clue why you're where you are. Because you know people that are smarter than you. You know people that are better than you. You know people that are faster than you. You know people that have more money than you. You know all this, and you know you don't know why you're where you are. The neat thing is God does. He says he's put you there for his purposes, to live right before God, to enact justice, to show mercy, to forgive those and give people a second chance when they need it, to demonstrate Christ-like qualities in your leadership, to show contentment that the world doesn't revolve around how much money you make and how, how large your assets become, to understand that we need to be content. To show that you don't know how to make a decision until you search the word of God and that you ask God for wisdom. And to be humble before God because admitting all of these things demonstrates humility on our part as leaders, doesn't it? See, Jesus set the course, and we'll close on this, in, in Mark 10, 42 through 45. See, Jesus was talking about leadership, and he had a way of just distorting everything that the world was teaching up to that point. Says Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles uh, lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. But you know, it's not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. You see, for even the Son of Man, even God himself, Jesus Christ, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Boy, it sure is different than what we first started out, isn't it? Wanting to be able to boss people around. See, I wonder how many people would want to be in a leadership position when they realize that that leadership position meant leading the way. See, otherwise it's just a pusher position, isn't it? Either a leader or you're a pusher or a shover. And God says to be a leader that people will follow, you must be a servant to those people. You must do what's right before God and not do that which is wrong. You must enact justice across the board, a standard that doesn't demonstrate a double standard, but it's the same standard for everybody. Yet realizing we have a certain amount of latitude and at times we have to show mercy and demonstrate that. We must be understanding as leaders. It, must, it means we have to take the time and be patient and check into the facts because not everybody's going to tell you the truth. And you almost have to assume that's the case until you hear every side of every story. Because that's the nature of man. We're not honest. We're corrupt. We're deplorable. We can't be trusted. And even those who have come to know Jesus Christ until they grow in their faith are no different externally other than the fact that they've been saved from hell for all of eternity. And so we need to understand that as well. So that same standard applies to all of us, Christian or non-Christian. We need to be patient in dealing with people because people will wear you out. And we need wisdom because we don't have a clue what's right or wrong without seeking God's wisdom in that area. And lastly and most importantly, if you're going to be a leader that people will follow, you must demonstrate that you're a servant. 
that you care about people, that you care about what happens to them, you care about their future, you care about direction, and that you're not just interested in yourself. Because Jesus said it best, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you got to be servant of all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to take a look at your word once again. God, help us to become men and women who demonstrate these qualities that you say are essential to effective leadership. God, help us because we're in a world that is so devoid of leaders that we can almost scream in frustration at times. It's pathetic that even the, that is true of the church. It's true of our communities. It's true of our businesses. It's true of our nation. God, we need to be men and women who are committed to doing what's right before you and also holding those who are in a leadership position accountable to that same standard. For God, you know there's only one God, and that's you. God, help us as leaders never to feel we're above your laws and your principles, to always be submissive to your authority, knowing that the only reason that we have a leadership position at all is because you've placed us in that position, that you've entrusted it to us as stewards to demonstrate these qualities that we've just listed. God, and we just thank you that we don't have the tools nor the ability to do an effective job, but you tell us to come to you and that you'll provide the wisdom. God, may we be men and women who seek your wisdom from your word, that we seek wisdom as we pray and we consult with you over difficult decisions that affect the lives of people. God, help us to stay on our knees and to be humble before you, knowing that if we humble ourselves, that you will exalt us in a proper time. God, we just thank you that you honor your word and that we can, with confidence, enact those things that you say are right, fully confident that it will be the best thing for all, of, for all the people that are involved, regardless of the consequences and the strife and the turmoil that it creates short-term. May we be people that are dedicated to doing what's right over the long haul. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Don't forget.